0: What's going on, Packer fans? Happy Tuesday! Welcome back to an all new episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. I'm your host Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Pack-A-Day Podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. I want to kick things out with a shout out to you guys. A hundred memberships officially on the Pack-A-Day Podcast YouTube channel. You guys are the absolute best. If you haven't subscribed yet, if you haven't become a member yet, please make sure to look into doing so hit the like button, comment, give those five-star reviews, do all the amazing things that you guys are always so amazing at doing. And I appreciate you guys a ton. Of course, a shout out to our hall of fame and all pro members as well. Most hated Minnesotan, PJ Wynn, John Wild, Shea Dad, Arnoldo Espinoza, Jennifer Wright, Boom Handle, and Donald Lee. You guys are the absolute best. Now on with the show, let's kick things off with David Bakhtiari. Not a major update here, but Matt LaFleur was asked about him on Monday and LaFleur basically responded by saying he wasn't going to comment because Bakhtiari wants to talk to the media at some point this week during his locker room availability. So we should get some sort of David Bakhtiari update this week from him specifically. We already know from Rappaport that he had a knee scope already and there's another surgery planned. It sounds like he's likely out for the year and we will hope to come back in 2024, said he wants to remain a member of the Packers. So there's a lot in you know question here, but it sounds like we will hear from Bakhtiari at some point this week. And of course, we'll update you here as soon as we have any new information. Uh, also, I wanted to talk about a couple of the press conferences from the coordinators and coaches, two in particular, I wanted to start off with the Joe Barry press conference. He basically said that the run defense can be and will be better. He said that it's part scheme and part you know, technique, and he basically said it's a little bit of everything, which, yeah, it, it has been. Now, his ability to fix the running game is probably what his job depends on, or at least the run defense, I should say, uh, is probably what his job depends upon at this point. So, yeah, I would hope for everyone's sake that that run defense gets better. It can't get much worse. As Wendell Ferreira points out on Twitter on Monday, The Packers are 32nd in EPA per rush, which is basically rushing efficiency, in this case rush defense efficiency, but the Packers are 32nd in EPA per rush since Gutekunst took over as GM. The Packers are 32nd in EPA per rush since LaFleur took over as head coach, and the Packers are 32nd in EPA per rush since Joe Barry took over as defensive coordinator. So basically, this has been an issue for a while. It's been an issue since Goody took over. It's been an issue since LaFleur took over, and it hasn't gotten better since they've hired Joe Barry. Long story short, the run defense has been terrible, abysmal, whatever you want to call it. Five yards per carry last season, they're at 4.5, which might seem like an improvement. It's just still not good enough, as has been evidenced by pretty much every game this season, but specifically the Falcons game and then this past week against the Lions. So it is clearly 1A on everyone's mind is to figure out a way that this team can stop the run better. I would hope so, because like I said, it's been brutal to watch and they need to figure out a way to put a better brand of football out on the field when it comes to run defense. So we will see if that comes to fruition. The other one was Rich Passaccio, who basically said, the special teams continue to be a work in progress. And just for me personally, that's not good enough. And I know that this has been a decades-long issue at special teams, and he is like in the midst of year two as special teams coordinator, and Rome isn't built in a day. I get all of those things. I get you can also point to Anders Carlson, who's kicked well so far, Daniel Whalen, who's had a pretty nice start to the season as well. But overall, You have a lot of specialists on this roster that are here specifically for special teams. You are one of, if not the highest paid special teams coordinators in football An assistant head coach. Like, yes, everything is always a work in progress and everything can always get better. But that to me is not a good enough answer. This needs to be a better special teams than what it is, at least through the first four weeks of the season. And that falls on Rich Passaccia. I go back to last year last year felt sugarcoated because of what Keyshawn Nixon was able to do as a returner. Had it not been for Keyshawn Nixon bursting upon the scene and becoming an amazing kick returner, That was a really, really bad special team still in 2022. And we can give some credit to Keyshawn Nixon and what they were able to do there. The blocking is clearly a part of that as well, but this is the same special teams group and coaches that decided that Amari Rogers should have been ahead of Keyshawn Nixon and made that determination earlier in the year and almost seemed to get lucky by sort of quote unquote, discovering Keyshawn Nixon as a kick returner. So there's a lot of work for the special teams to do. And yeah, it is a work in progress, but that work needs to become a little bit more of a focal point and it needs to start getting fixed sooner rather than later because this is a special teams that should be better than what they are. And we're seeing a lot of the same stuff that really plagued Green Bay throughout the Mo Drayton and Sean Menenga eras. So I want to see a better special teams. And to me, a work in progress is not a good enough answer at this point for the special teams. All right, on to our main event. And that is going to be the Packers rookie class and basically a update slash rookie report through the first four weeks of the season. We'll go through every draft pick. Uh, we're not going to go undrafted free agents and first time players and anything like that. We're just going to go through the actual draft so let's start off right away with the first round pick for Green Bay, Lucas Van S. From my grading scale, he's at a negative 0.4. From PFFs, he's at a 59.5. Remember that 60 is their average and zero is my average. So for me, just a very slightly below average for PFF, an extremely slightly below average. So that's where he's been so far per both of our grading scales. He's played 102 snaps. He has five pressures in one sack. All of those pressures and the sack included in that were against the Chicago Bears. In his last three games, he did not have any pressures or any sacks. He's been pretty stout as a run defender. What's disappointing about Van Ness is it did start to feel like he was really starting to put some things together prior to the arm injury, and then the arm injury happened, and it felt like he hasn't quite been the same since. I thought this was probably his most nondescript game and just not really showing up in any major way this past week against Detroit. Green Bay needs LVN to be a like their number three edge and a really nice edge setter against the run and a physical player at the point of attack with a player that can, you know, play with his hair on fire, rotate in for Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith as Preston needs rest and Rashawn's still not up to a full complement of snaps. Like they need him to be a pretty darn good player. Now, I probably overestimated his ability to come in and make an impact in year one. I thought it would be a little bit more impactful than it has been so far. I also thought that we would see some play of him not only at the edge, but potentially rotating in along the defensive line and just kind of like obvious passing downs, move inside and see what he can do inside, which he did a lot at Iowa. The biggest thing we can say about LVN right now is he is still incredibly raw as a player. He has no real pass rush plan. When he's converting speed to power, he's at his best. And like I said, he's been pretty stout against the run. You want to see a little bit more of a pass rush plan start to develop. This is seeming a little bit more almost like the Rashawn Gary trajectory where he plays a little bit in his rookie year, starts to develop more in year two. You see a little bit of a breakout in year three, and then he becomes a really sound player after that, a really dominant player after that. I think, I still think LVN can be, a little bit more impactful this year than Rashawn Gary was in his first year. But you can tell there's at least probably a ceiling this year to what he's going to be able to come. I do think that he needs a little bit more playing time once he's fully healthy, just to start developing and putting that pass rush together and just seeing what he can go out there and do. I also think like we can talk pass rush plan and those sort of things, but he has Rashawn Gary in front of him where he has like the perfect mentor to just go out and be like, oh, that's how he wins. And they're both freak athletes. They're both a little bit stiff. They're both explosive. They both have raw, natural power. Like, just kind of go out and mirror your game after Rashawn Gary's. And I know that's one of the better edge rushers in all of football. That might be easier said than done. But you have that player right there to kind of watch and take leadership from. So I think what we can expect from LVN the rest of the season. I think he's going to continue to be a solid run defender. I think there's going to be flash moments that continue to, you know, sort of flash off the page, but it's going to be a little bit of a work in progress. So not bad from LVN so far, but you can see that that developmental learning curve is maybe a little bit steeper than I'll just say myself, but I think a lot of people had maybe expected it to be not totally unexpected by any means because this is a 21-year-old rookie coming out of Iowa who played limited snaps in his couple seasons. So we knew there was going to be some level of rawness to his game. No question about it. I just think we, and I'll say me again, thought that maybe the, just the raw talent and power and and like athleticism was maybe going to get him a little bit further. But to that point too, like I've liked more often than not what he's put up on tape. And I do think he was starting to come into his own even a little bit more prior to the arm injury. So there's still a lot of meat on that bone. I think we can see better from LVN. I think we can see more of LVN. Uh, Just hopefully that arm gets a little bit better and doesn't cause it to, uh, you know, hamper his playing style through the remainder of the year. I don't think it will. I think he's going to be fine. This time off coming up will probably do him well. And you just, you know, hopefully see him continue to improve as the course of the year goes along. And number 2 is Luke Musgrave, their their first second round pick. For me, he has a plus 1.00 grade, for PFF a 61.2 grade. He's played 171 snaps, has 12 catches for 125 yards. And this is the exact reason why as excited as I was about him throughout the entirety of training camp and OTAs and mini camp that I basically forced myself to remind myself over and over of like These players take time at the tight end position. And I don't think that that's entirely true of Musgrave to the point of like, if you look at some of these games so far, part of the reason why Musgrave hasn't been more involved is almost more due to how the offense has performed. You know, you go back to the Atlanta game and they had very minimal snaps in that game. Atlanta controlled the time of possession and had the ball, and like Green Bay basically kept going three and out in the fourth quarter. I think, had the offense been in more rhythm in that game, we would have seen more Luke Musgrave. The Saints game, you had three quarters of just an offense that could not get in any sort of rhythm couldn't get down the field, couldn't pick up first downs. That limited Green Bay's offensive snaps in that game, which I think limited Luke Musgrave. And then same thing against Detroit, it's 24 to three. And then of course, Musgrave goes out with a concussion right after that as well. So I actually don't think that this is indicative of who that like Musgrave needs more time to come along. I think it's almost been a little bit more of like circumstance because I still go back to like preseason training camp and, you know, family night and how much they targeted him and how much he's involved in the offense. He's clearly tight end one. I think the interesting thing for Musgrave is I would have expected more you know, passing production up until this point, like, you know, his it, involvement in the passing game, I would have expected a lot more, probably at least a touchdown already. I would have expected, I would have expected, you know, probably just more like even just schemed up plays for Luke Musgrave. And we haven't really seen that so far. That's a surprise to me. The bigger surprise is I was expecting nowhere near the run blocking that he has been able to go out and and you know sort of display so far so it hasn't been perfect it hasn't been great But it's been pretty sound. And like there are things that you can build off of here for Luke Musgrave as a run blocker. So overall, still extremely excited. We have seen the thing on his scouting reports show up in camp preseason and now in the regular season that he's got a little bit of that unbalanced and almost stumbling ability after he catches the ball and sometimes in and out of his break. Sometimes it feels like this you know, insanely tall, insanely, you know, big tight end is almost like too fast for his own body. And you can almost see him like get out of control at times. So that's something that you can just tell he's maybe, you know, going through like how to do everything in the NFL, maybe thinking a little bit too much and maybe just trying to go a little bit too fast where the game hasn't slowed down from yet extremely, extremely bullish and what Luke Musgrave is going to be able to be for this offense long-term. But this is why we preach. And like I said, I preach to myself, patience, because as tantalizing as it was to you know say like, this is going to be a player that comes on the scene and just breaks out in a massive way, These things usually take time, and we've seen it take a little bit of time. I do expect more out of Musgrave moving forward through the remainder of the season, and I think they're going to make it a little bit more of a focal point to get him involved. I think they need to. I think they need his playmaking ability over the middle of the field. I think Matt LaFleur needs to find a way to scheme him up a little bit more and get him in some advantageous positions. And then you also need to see Jordan Love and Luke Musgrave hit on some of those. I mean, this looks totally different if you know, the Musgrave like pop-up throw, if he's able to catch in slot in stride and get into the end zone. There was the, another one where along the sideline, I think it was against Chicago where Musgrave and, and Love weren't on the same page. You've got the big play down, uh, down the seam. Was it, I think against the saints, uh, you know, where you've got the big explosive play there and Love overthrows him. If they hit on a couple of those, like we might be talking about Luke Musgrave's number being like you know, what, 16 catches for 250 yards and like three touchdowns already, which seems a whole heck of a lot different. So I think just that timing and rhythm with Jordan Love is going to go a huge way in us starting to see Luke Musgrave be a more productive part of the Packers offense, but really excited about who he is already as a player. To be Jaden Reed, plus 0.7 grade for Reed on my scale, 69.0 grade on PFF scale, 150 snaps, 12 catches, 203 yards, and two touchdowns. We've seen the playmaking ability. We've seen a bit too many drops from Jaden Reed so far. And at times there's a little bit of an inability to separate and you want to see him become a little bit more nuanced as a route runner and just being that separation a little bit easier. But you also see that Matt LaFleur is in his bag with using Jaden Reed as a little bit of a, you know, move piece, a chess piece where he can line them up all over the place. We've seen him lined up in the backfield. We've seen him on the little, you know, jet sweep on the toss where, you know, or the pop pass where he comes around and makes it to the end zone and just outruns everyone. We've seen him used as a punt returner. So there is a lot to like about Jaden Reed so far. He's going to continue to get better and better. Not sure how you can't be excited about him as a player and as a prospect. We saw him come down with the big deep ball uh, catch down the field. He almost had the touchdown pass on the fade this past week. Just came down a little bit out of bounds. Love led him a little bit more towards the sideline than probably uh, you know needed, and didn't really give him an opportunity to get his feet down. But it was still a really nice catch from Reed. So I think Reed is just starting to get into you know who he can become as a player, and I think there's a lot more there to be excited about long term as he continues to develop. But this has been a really really nice start for Jaden Reed so far. Number three is Tucker Kraft, a plus 0.2 grade on my scale, a 50.7 grade on PFF scale, 38 snaps only so far, two catches, five yards. This is the combination of A- Being a rookie tight end, which we talked about with Musgrave, these are difficult positions to learn for a young player. But then, B on top of it, a player that comes from a smaller school that's trying to make the transition into the NFL. And you can see when you talk about a player that's just thinking out on the field, like Tucker Craft, is exhibited like that exact look. Like he looks like a deer in headlights at times. You can tell that he is just going through this and trying to figure it out on the fly. I love his effort. Like when we saw him in practice and training camp, he cared about his craft. He was consistently trying to get better. I think he needs maybe a little bit more opportunity. We haven't seen a ton of like run after the catch ability from him so far. I think maybe if you're talking about from day of draft until right now, maybe Green Bay's most disappointing rookie so far. But I think this is one that you have to preach patience with based on the small school tight end at a position that's really tough to transition from college to the NFL anyway. And I think he will start to get better with time, but this one's going to take a little bit of time. And I'll preach patience with that player as well in in Tucker Craft. So we'll see what he can do the remainder of this season. So, you guys really need to make Little Caesars, which is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day routine. Pizza is the ultimate game day food. There is no question about it. If there's one thing that rivals my love for the Green Bay Packers and my love of football, it's my love of pizza. And right now you can actually order online during their pizza pizza pregame. It's one hour before NFL games, and you can get ready for football, fun, choose your favorite little Caesars pizza, pick the toppings that you crave. Me, this is gonna sound weird, I know, because you know uh my pickiness with food. I love mushroom and onion. That is my absolute favorite pizza. I know it's probably not everyone else's. And of course, you know you love my food takes, but I love mushroom and onion pizza. I love it from Little Caesars. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning... Everyone's going to score with convenient delivery. They also have their in-store pizza portal. So you can pick up, you can grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Trust me, you're going to love it. And, And if I have to recommend one thing for sure, have to get the crazy bread. The crazy bread is an absolute must. Enjoy it, enjoy your game day and enjoy it more with Little Caesars. So many of you probably know that Damian Lillard was just traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. And as soon as I found out, I had to get opening day tickets immediately. And I will be there at that game because I use game time and even got to use code pack a day for $20 off, which made it even more sweet. The process was so insanely simple. They have these flash deals and you can click on the different areas of the stadium to see which prices are available. You can see the actual view of the seats. It was hassle-free and just super, super simple. Game Time is the place for last minute ticket deals as well. You can forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and so much more. The Game Time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without all the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets. Lowest price. Guaranteed. It's finally football season, which means... Number four is Colby Wooden, a 0.00 grade on my scale, 56.9 by PFF, 101 snaps so far, six pressures, zero sacks, four of those pressures, you guessed it, also against the Chicago Bears. This is an interesting player. Right now, you can tell that Colby Wooden, not quite up to par from a physicality standpoint when it comes to playing in the run game. Sound familiar? Sort of been an issue for Green Bay defensive players over the years, but You can tell that there is a willingness there. There was a goal line play that I tweeted out. I think it was in either week. I think it was in week two. But um, he is like holding up against a double team on the goal line against two big offensive linemen. And he's just like getting his feet into the ground, playing with good pad level and just standing them up, which was awesome to see from Colby Wooden. Now there's also, unfortunately, a lot of plays on tape where he's not exactly holding up against the run game and will get blasted out of his gap by double teams and you'll just see him get turned around and spun around. Like it's going to take some time for him to put on some functional strength and just become a better pro at stopping the run. There's a little juice there as a pass rusher. This is more of that gap penetrating defensive lineman that we've talked about that you like to see him shooting upfield and penetrating gaps. You can't just live in that sphere entirely. You have to also be able to hold up at the point of attack, which has been a little bit of an issue, but I like Colby Wooden. I think he's a really nice fifth defensive lineman that can rotate in. We've seen him basically get passed up by Carl Brooks, who we'll talk about in just a little bit from the fourth defensive lineman, excuse me, to the fifth defensive lineman. But I, th- I still think there's a a potential. I'm not going to say he will become, but I think there's a potential starting defensive lineman down the road for Colby Wooden here. I just think he's going to have to continue to work at his craft, get a little bit better as a pro get in the weight room a little bit and just kind of develop as time goes on. And I think he will. And like overall, I like this draft pick and I think he's a solid player, but right now we're seeing just sort of the rookie, more rotational player than somebody that you can trust for 30, 40 snaps on any given day. Now, if Green Bay were to have a situation where Kenny Clark or TJ Slayton or even Devontae Wyatt were to go down and Wooden and Brooks need to play a lot more, I think you're looking at probably a little bit more of a disadvantageous situation for both of those defensive linemen. But right now, with where they're at as rotational pieces and Wooden as number five, I like that spot. I think he'll continue to develop and become a nice defensive lineman down the road. Sean Clifford, not much to say so far. Negative zero point two five grade for me. Thirty seven point five per PFF. Only five snaps. Remember, he fumbled a snap as one of those five snaps, which is why the the lower grade there. But We just don't have much to go off of from a regular season standpoint. Preseason looked like a backup, and training camp looked like a backup. And for a player that a lot of people were upset, Green Bay took in the fifth round, looked like a nice backup quarterback. So nothing to speak on from the first four weeks of the season other than five handoffs and one fumbled snap within that. But overall, I think you have to be excited about what Clifford did in the preseason and probably being ahead of schedule than what a lot of people expected coming out of college and some up and down tape at Penn State. The next fifth round pick is Dontavian Wicks, plus 1.30 grade for me, 60.3 grade for PFF, 147 snaps, six catches, 85 yards and a touchdown. This is the player that you're sort of just waiting to put it together because as a route runner, there is some real sauciness to his play at the line of scrimmage. His release game is really fun he's not the most physical wide receiver yet. This is another player that just needs a little bit of time I think to develop his body in a positive way. It's not a it's not bad, but you can tell like when he was hurt and like he would come out like he just looks like a little bit more of a slimmer, smaller wide receiver. I think he's going to continue to put on some functional strength as well, and I think as he does, you know, develops his craft even more, he's like a player who has all the shiftiness, but doesn't quite understand the nuance of putting it all together yet, but he's getting there. And I think he's going to see even more playing time, not necessarily with, with Christian Watson coming back, but I think he's still going to be very involved in the offense. I think you're going to see this be a player who probably is wide receiver four right now, but continues to get playing time continues to master his craft. And I think this can be a legitimate starting wide receiver down the road. This is the guy who played the most snaps of any wide receiver week one, got the flea flicker to start game two, and has been, like I said, a pretty involved piece in this offense. And I very much expect that to be the case. Very, very excited about Dontavian Wick's long-term. And in the meantime, he's starting to put some of those moves and jukes and everything else together to become a player who can separate and should get more playing time ahead because of that. Number six is Carl Brooks. Negative 0.35 grade for me, 57.4 grade for PFF. 111 snaps, seven pressures, two sacks. The grade is a little bit lower. A lot of that is run defense. Surprise, surprise. But this is a really fun player who I think is going to be not only a rotational piece along the defensive line, I think he is a very clear eventual starter. He has one go to move right now where he basically takes both of his hands and, like, kind of like cuts inside and basically just with, you know, raw force, just like, takes the other player and like chops their hands away and like moves them to the side and then gets a little bit of burst up the field. It's a great move. He's going to have to figure out counters on it. And he's going to have to figure out more of a pass rush plan because players are going to start to key on it a little bit more, which will probably slow down that specific pass rush. He also at times will very much get out of his gap and like trying to shoot up the field and maybe make a play in the passing game. But in the Process like abandoning his specific gap in the running game. There will also be times where you can see both Colby Wooden and Carl Brooks where the heads are just spinning as rookies a little bit. You'll see them running into some other players on twists and stunts. You'll see them trying to get upfield. Like there's been some plays where he's trying to do his move and like get into the gap next and like get upfield, but he's going right into the pass rushing lane of another player on the defensive line. So there's just some things like that that as a rookie, he still needs to get under control. But the upside is very, very much there, and I really like him as a player. I think he's going to be a really nice, not only like I said, rotational piece, but I think an eventual starter for Green Bay down the road. Anders Carlson, I, there's a lot of things about PFF that I love. There are some things that will just rack your brain and you can't make sense of them. Anders Carlson is five for five on field goals, nine for nine on extra points. Remember, their grading scale averages sixty. Carlson so far is a 39.3. Even more weird is that they have a very positive field goal kicking grade on him and they have a very positive kickoff grade on him. So it's like a 70 something field goal grade, a 70 something extra or, uh kickoff grade and then a 39.3 overall grade. Now I think I think that's because of the penalty that he on the onside kick he kicked it out of bounds, but that is bonkers. Like how can you be really good at field goals really good at kickoffs, but had one penalty out of bounds. So it takes it to a 39.3 grade. That one I can't make sense of. I don't grade special teams, so I don't have a grade on him. I will tell you five for five on field goals, nine for nine on extra points, big leg on kickoffs, all good across the board. I have no issues. One of the surprises of the regular season so far, The last thing I ever would have expected through four weeks is Anders Carlson being the most consistent player for Green Bay. Yet here we are, a really fun start to the season for him. As much as he has struggled in training camp and in, um, I guess specifically training camp, and I guess in mini camps and those as well, when the lights have been on at actual games and family night and in regular season games, he's kicked very, very well. So I don't know if he's just a gamer. I don't know if in practice, he's like working on some things. I don't know if ever since orzik and Carlson won their respective jobs and he can just work with one long snapper and one punter, if that, or one holder like that, like was able to get in more of a rhythm. I don't know what, but he's been absolutely incredible so far and 14 of 14 on his kicks as his you know young start to his career as the Packers kicker. Carrington Valentine, negative 0.05 grade, 57.1 grade for PFF, 80 snaps. He's allowed two completions on six attempts for 53 yards and a 66.7 passer rating. Like Valentine, you can tell this is another player. There was like three plays where like he wasn't necessarily like getting lined up on time or was lining up in the wrong spot. Like Razul Douglas was like pointing to his helmet being like, you got to know what you're doing after one specific play where he was lined up on the wrong side of the field and was late to rotate over there's some things that you can tell with Carrington are just a little bit of a work in progress, but man, as a pure cover guy, you can see all the upside there of a legitimate starting corner in this league. He would have housed a pick six this week, I think had, which is a tendency of his when he's gotten in games in preseason and in training camp. If, uh, you know, if the quarterback of Jared Goff had just been on target with his throw, he was looking right side in an out pattern. And like he threw it with all the intention of trying to complete the pass and Valentine jumped it. And uh, there was nobody to stop him had he picked it off. And of course, it was like the one throw that Jared Goff was inaccurate on the entire day and threw it high and out of bounds and no pick six. But That's the ability that Valentine has. Not a great run defender as of yet, usually more than willing. You could tell with the bicep injury, he was maybe a little bit more cautious this past week, which you can understand a little bit, but overall really like the pick. And I think that's somebody that as time goes on and he gets more playing time, will continue to have the game slow down and just gain even a little bit more confidence that he, and he has a lot of confidence already, which is awesome to see, but he's a playmaker on defense and Green Bay needs more of those. I don't think you're at the point yet where you're like, figuring out like, how, how the heck do we get this guy on the field? But he's a really fun player and one that I think is going to continue to develop in a very positive direction. The next three, super easy to go through. Lou Nichols just never turned out, didn't look great in camp, got injured, ultimately got cut. He is not on an NFL roster or practice squad as far as I last checked. Anthony Johnson Jr. has been a complete redshirt. There was the game two or three games ago where they only needed one inactive player uh, because everyone else was hurt. Everyone else on the inactive list was hurt and injured. So they only needed to deactivate one active player and they chose Anthony Johnson Jr. So This so far has seemed very much like a redshirt season for Anthony Johnson Jr. I don't think they have any intentions of getting him in the game, either on defense or special teams at this point. So we will see if he is able to work his way into the rotation as the season goes along. But right now, basically a redshirt season for Anthony Johnson Jr. And then Grant DuBose currently finds his spot on the practice squad. Would expect him to be like the, I would expect them to go with Bull Melton first if they called somebody up, had some fun plays at the end of camp and in preseason, but was injured through a lot of that and uh, is another player that just needs to put on a little bit uh, more strength and also just needs to get a little bit more nuanced as a wide receiver. But I think there is some upside there to eventually become a number five or number six wide receiver that you can have on your roster. But as of right now, he resides on the practice squad. So that is where we are at for our Packers rookie report through the first quarter of the season. I think maybe slightly underwhelming for maybe expectations. I think Musgrave, maybe a little bit less than maybe we expected. Tucker Craft hasn't done much. LVN has had his ups and downs. Carl Brooks and Colby Wooden, the rotational players that we expected, a really nice start for Anders Carlson. And then you know Musgrave, like I said, probably just a little bit uh, less than you expected. But Dontavian Wicks, maybe a little more than you expected. But overall, I still think LVN, Musgrave, Jaden Reed uh, have the ability to be starters. Tucker Craft's a bit of a mystery box at this point. Colby Wooden and Carl Brooks, I think at minimum, are going to be long-term rotational defensive linemen, if not potential starters in maybe a year or two. Dontavian Wicks has a ton of upside. Sean Clifford looks like a nice backup. Anders Carlson looks like he could be the future as the kicker in Green Bay. Carrington Valentine looks like he could potentially be a starter down the road. And they still have Anthony Johnson Jr. and Grant DuBose as potential lottery tickets. And then the only one not on the roster in any capacity is Lou Nichols. So not bad, Uh, but maybe just a little less than we've expected so far, but I still am very bullish overall on this Packers rookie class. That's gonna do it for me today. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll be right back here tomorrow with an all new episode, but until next time, and as always, go Packo.